All right. It does not get much better than that right there, I tell you. It does not. So good morning, everybody. Uh, good to see you. I want to say hello to our friends in, at True Worth and those we get to worship with on a weekly basis and also those that have chosen for whatever reason uh, to be in the sanctuary and you have found a place over there, kind of really a sanctuary, to work, kind of a secret place, right, that not a lot of folks know about it and you got plenty of room and uh, again, just, just thank you for being with us in worship here this morning. Uh, we are in the fourth week of a message series we are calling The Total Package. And we are talking about getting healthy in the totality of our existence and how important uh, this kind of health is. And we started this whole thing off by talking about depression. And then we talked about vision and direction and purpose for our life, how important that is for the total understanding of our health. Uh, last weekend, it was having this great cloud of witnesses, right? Uh, they kind of encouraged us along the way. And this morning, we're going back to a promise, to make a good on a promise we made two, three weeks ago to talk about depression and mental health in a very real and honest way. I am not a psychiatrist. I am not a doctor. I don't have any licenses. I have zero. I barely have a driver's license, okay, just barely. Uh, they'll probably take that away from me one day. Uh, but, but I'm a pastor. But we got some people in this church who have some real skills and understanding uh, in mental health, and we're going to invite them up here in just a moment and have a real-life conversation about this subject matter. Uh, but first of all, before we do that, we're going to begin here, and we're going to end in the Word, okay? We're going to end in the Word here at the very end of this, so we're going to get to the Word. Uh, that's what we do here, uh, but I want to make sure everybody gets this one thing. If you don't do anything else this morning but get this, it'll be a win. I want you to turn to your neighbor, and I want you to say, it's okay to not be okay. Right now, go ahead and do it. If you're online, true worth, sanctuary, do it. Now, this is why I'm saying this. And some of you just said it, but you don't mean it. You don't mean it. Especially when it comes to mental health. If I meet you and we're having a conversation out there in the crossing, and uh, you say, hey, Rick, how you doing? And I say, well, I've got a, I got some, I got a sinus infection. Or, hey, I just got diagnosed with some diabe a diabetes issue I'm working through. Or if I said, I got a broken bone in my arm. It's hurting. You'd go, oh, oh, I'm so sorry. Uh, you'd empathize. You'd listen. You'd be concerned about me. You'd know how to have a conversation. But if you ask me how I'm doing, and I say, man, I just got diagnosed with a mental illness, most of you would freak out. You'd kind of turn around and walk away and go, okay, nice to meet you, pastor. <laughs> I'm done. I'm out of here. You're finished. I mean, I, I, you, or you just wouldn't know what to say because we had this social stigma when it comes to mental health issues. Church, I want, I want, I want you to hear this again. It's okay to not be okay. And until you buy into that, uh, you're going to struggle with really being healthy in your life and in your family. Remember, I want to remind you, you are a spirit. That's who you are. That's what lives forever. You're a spirit. You have a soul. In the Greek, that is psyche. That is your mental awareness, your mental well-being. You live in a body. I promise you, your spirit is going to get sick. You're going to be spiritually sick. You're going to get spiritually ill. Your body is going to get ill. It's going to get sick. It's going to have issues. 
and your soul, your psyche, your mind. You're going to have mental health sickness. Everybody is in some part of your life, most likely. And it's not a sin to be sick. It's just not. And it's not your identity. If you have mental health issues, particularly your soul issues in that way, it's not your identity. And until you really believe that it's okay to not be okay, you're going to come to church and you're going to pretend. You're going to present a false image of yourself to people. You're going to walk in and pretend everything's okay. But on the inside, it's really not okay. And you're never going to get well, ever, until you acknowledge it's okay to not be okay. And if there's any place where there should not be a social stigma, in church there is one, about mental health, any place it should be the church. And so if you're kicking the tires here at this place called Pathway, you're new here, been coming around for a few times, or this is your first time, uh, we'd love to meet you after worship. Love to check in with you out there in the crossing myself. I'd love to do that. Our guests will be there. They'll meet you too. But I want you to hear, you come to a place where everybody here is messed up a little bit. All of us are. Some people just haven't realized it yet or admitted it. But we got a few loose screws. Yeah. Some of us are not all put together very well. And we're all in recovery. Especially when it comes to some mental health issues. And you're getting ready to learn, just some of you, perhaps for the first time. Oh, so that's why. Yeah. It's okay to not be okay. So let's talk about it. Come on up, panel. Let's talk about it. You're going to meet... Kim Garrett and Angel Ayella, they are both strong believers in Christ. Uh, they are therapists. Find what you need there. Okay, you don't need to scoot in. Just decide you can, but kind of keep looking out. Where They are both therapists. Uh, Kim's a member of this church. She's an elder on a church session. She was a part of our family panel back in early February, I think it, perhaps it was. These two work together. And uh, Angel, I, I just love the name Angel. I mean, that's your parents... Did they really know what you were going to be when you were born to call you angel? You don't think so? <laughs> could could, could y'all just say, hello, angel, welcome, angel? Hello. Yeah. Thank you. So you're now officially a part of the a Pathway Church family, angel. Thank you. Okay. I appreciate that. So tell, tell us a little bit about, besides you two working together, you're a therapist, tell mm-hmm. us a little bit about yourself. Um, well, before I do that, I'd like to say, I, whenever you said there's a few loose screws in this church, I thought, I'm going to fit right in. Yeah, so that's good. <laughs> My name is Angel Ayala, and uh, I'm a therapist at a Recovery Resource Council in Fort Worth, along with Kim Garrett. Um, and I'm a licensed professional counselor and a licensed chemical dependency counselor, and we see a wide variety of people. We specialize in trauma, substance abuse, anxiety, depression, and, and a whole other list of mental health uh, disorders. And I'm proud to be a Christian, proud to be a veteran, and um, seen some veteran folks, got some head nods, all right, hoo um, But... Uh, and, and I really like how we started out by saying it's, it's okay to not be okay. You know, because there was a time in my life when I did not believe that. Um, there was a time when I, was, uh, when I was in the military. I was deployed to the Middle East, and I was in a traumatic event, which left me with PTSD. And I'll tell you one thing. Um, I could not function in society with PTSD. I had a lot of anxiety, depression, panic attacks, you name it. And I had to seek professional help. Um, and through that, um, thanks to the Lord, you know, I, I made it through. And 
and I can honestly say that I, I really feel now that I understand that it's, it's okay to not be okay. Well, let's, let's talk about, this, just dive in this mental health issue. What, mental illness, we're not going to be politically correct. I know it's not politically correct to say mental illness, but let's push all that aside. Mental illness, what is mental illness? How do we know about this, if we have some sort of experience like this? The simplest way to define mental illness is when a person has thoughts or feelings or behaviors that impair them, either at home in their relationships, at work, at school, or thoughts in, their, in our own heads. So it's really um, based on those behaviors. It can be sadness, feelings of w being isolated, being really anxious and nervous, being real angry or irritable. It could be abusing drugs or alcohol. It could be having thoughts of suicide. It can be an inability to concentrate or focus. Those are just a few examples uh, that we would use uh, if somebody came in and sat in my office or Angel's office and said, this is what I'm, this is what I'm living with, this is what's happening, and it would help us guide uh, in what we thought uh, would be the best treatment for them. So mental illness is difficulty in functioning in our day-to-day -day lives. But it's a lot of different things uh, that would constitute, it's really a mental illness. Mm -hmm. Okay. Absolutely. Now, Absolutely. Angel, what would and, you uh, add I would that? actually want to add to that because what we happens uh, with us is we have a lot of people that want to come in and find out more about mental illness, right? So they're experiencing something themselves or someone maybe in their family. And one of the most common questions we have is, what is depression? You know, I'm hearing a lot more about depression. Our society is becoming more open about mental health. So people are saying, what is depression? And so the simplest way to describe it is there are basically two forms of depression, okay? There's kind of a, a more temporary form of depression that's called situational depression. And that happens with a significant life event, right? So maybe with the death of a loved one, or maybe with the divorce, or maybe with a loss of a job. Those sorts of things can lead to depression. But there's another form of depression that's a lot more serious and it's, it's more long-term or chronic, and that's clinical depression. And clinical depression can be characterized by um, an imbalance or a low level of certain um, brain chemicals. Um, there are brain chemicals called, uh, there are neurotransmitters called serotonin, dopamine, and norepinephrine. And an imbalance of these can actually cause an individual to feel that long-term feeling of hopelessness. They can have um, this feeling of aloneness. Even when, even when they're in a room full of people, they can feel alone. Um, they can actually um, have a feeling of impending doom, um, loss of hope, like things are not going to get better. Those are some of the things that they can experience. Okay. So how can I tell, say I'm depressed, and I know I'm depressed, how can I tell the difference between clinical depression and maybe a situational depression? What's, how do I? One of the chief ways would be if something uh, very significant had happened, if, if I had lost a loved one, if I had gone through a divorce, that's going to be some, a, a very big clue that I possibly have a more temporary form of depression. And those temporary forms of depression by the way, uh, very, very healthy to go ahead and go get some counseling for that. Uh, there's, it's not like we don't need counseling for e any, either type. But with the situational depression, it tends to get better over time. 
But with the clinical depression, untreated, it tends to get worse over time. So that people feel worse and worse, and their energy gets less, they can't get out of bed, their functioning decreases, and thoughts of suicide uh, can increase. So what I would say the difference would be uh, is if it's gone on for more than two weeks, technically, uh, that's the technical way to look at it according to, to the diagnostic uh, manuals, uh, then it would be something that we might want to go get uh, professional help with. And uh, under two weeks, or it seems to be getting better, uh, then we know that it possibly is more of a temporary situation. Okay, so if I have clinical depression, um, I, I know y'all are not heavy advocates about antidepressants, but sometimes, 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 but yet there's so many folks who say, I'm never gonna, so how would you help describe understanding of that to people about that? Sometimes, maybe for a while, that kind of helps level, what would you Absolutely. say? Absolutely, that's a great question. Um, and so I'm, honestly, um, I'm not a huge advocate for medication. Like I, I, I usually don't tell somebody, you know, oh, you have a problem? Go grab a pill for that. You know. I think that our don't society, start there. Right. Don't start there. Um, I know it can be done, but we, we, there's other things we can do. The very first step, I would say, is awareness. So start to build awareness of what's happening with you or happening, what's happening with a loved one. Just be open to finding out what's out there, right? Because you, you might be surprised. There's, there are a lot more options than just, than just medication. Um, there's uh, certain skills that you can learn. There are certain ways that you can... Um, connect. There's certain ways that you can find help by talking to a, a professional. And yes, if, you know, if, if, it, if it's deemed necessary by, by the um, medical professional that you do need uh, medication, by all means, that, that's an option. Yeah. Will you use the car metaphor? Will Absolutely. Sometimes people have a hard time understanding uh, or connecting with the idea of mental health, especially with depression. So what I like to do is I like to use the analogy of a car because we all have, we all pretty much drive and we, we know how important that car is to get to where we need, right? And so if you were to think about your automobile and the level, the fluid levels in your car, right? The, so you need the oil, you need the, the gasoline, you need your brake fluid, oh, we need that, right? Um, and just think about all the levels in your car. Now, if, you're, if you, the levels of fluid in your car are low, your car's not gonna operate. It's not gonna function at the level that it should. And if you allow it to keep going low, eventually it's gonna break down. And that's kind of the way the human mind is. Um, these levels, these, these levels of uh, chemicals can be low, can, can affect our functioning. And like um, Kim stated a moment ago, if we continue to allow ourselves to go down that path, eventually thoughts of suicide can come around. Like eventually it's gonna get worse. It's gonna get worse unless we reach out and get some help. Okay, so somebody in your family, uh, they, they're depressed, mm -hmm. you think they are, how do you manage that? Is someone in the, do you tiptoe around them? Do you just kind of, I mean, how, That's a great question. How, how do you handle that? Absolutely, and I think we could pretty much all agree that we either have had depression or we know someone, maybe there's someone in your immediate home that is suffering from depression. Um, and what, I, what we'd like to do is talk about maybe what to say. Um, in fact, I'd like to even start out with what not to say. Let's do that first, because that's pretty important. I think a lot of people don't know how to approach that issue. And a lot of the times we mean well, you know, when we're approaching someone that we love and they have depression, we mean well, but sometimes some things that we can say can actually be 
um, can actually be harmful, can actually be invalidating to their experience. And so we're just gonna do a little play here. Um, uh, Kim, can you be the person with depression? Yes. And I'm just gonna- um, Look depressed, Kim. Give these fine folks a Look good example of what right not to say. I will be here in a second. Okay. Kim, cheer up. Smile. It can't be that bad. Kim, it's all in your head. Kim, stop feeling sorry for yourself. Hang in there, Kim. It'll pass. Kim, don't be so negative. Kim, you have no reason to be so sad. So those are just some examples of what not to say. Now, a lot of times I might be concerned with Kim and I'm just trying to cheer her up, right? But when I he say didn't. it that way, <laughs> well, even though I mean it that way, she, she doesn't necessarily receive it the same way that I'm transmitting. So your heart was right, but the words Absolutely. Opposite. In okay. fact, the way that she's receiving it could be that the way that she's feeling is not okay. The way that she's feeling is actually not okay for me either. Ah, ah, okay. It, it doesn't open, so when he was saying that, and we've role played this at, at other services, really, if I were depressed and he were my brother or my dad, I felt totally like, I, I was like mentally like backing up because I didn't feel like what I was really feeling was being heard at all. So, so, yeah, we're going to talk about things we can say. If there's someone in your family or in your friendship circle that you have concerns about, there are things that you can say. And uh, one of the, the caveats to this is if you're going to say it, be willing to do it. For example, if you say to somebody, um, if you need to talk, I'm here, then you need to pick up the phone. Don't promise something that you're not going to do. So here are things that we can say. I care about you. I'm here for you. How can I help? Have you talked to your doctor about how you're feeling? Do you need someone to talk to? Your life makes a difference to me. It's okay that you feel this way. Whenever you want to talk, I'll listen. How can I support you? So with those statements, what we're doing is we're validating and honoring that person's feelings. We're not negating them, but we're also offering support and we're offering our, our, our relationship. I hear you saying that you're, you're allowing that person to talk. Yeah. Yeah. And uh, I just want to say to parents, you know, if you, if you notice that your, say your teenager is, may have some depression and you approach them and ask them to talk and they don't want to talk to you, don't take that personal because you can still encourage them to talk to someone. Sometimes it's hard for family members to talk to other family members. It doesn't mean anything personal to that person, it just means that they're just not ready yet. But they may still be ready to talk to a professional or a friend or a pastor or a teacher or a coach or someone like that because that's what we need is that connection. Hey, let's just meet head on. You mentioned teenagers. Before I give some information about what's going on with our teens and our families, mm -hmm. some research. If a parent has a sense that a child is talking or thinking about or expressed about taking their own life and that we're seeing more and more of that among our teens what do you suggest how do you suggest a parent respond to that if that happens 
So this is, that is not a time to shy away or ignore it. Uh, definitely, we know that talking about suicide will not make someone commit suicide or com I mean, it won't, or attempt suicide, it won't do that. It actually has the opposite effect. Opening up that, opening up that vault that we don't want to go, go into is really the way to get people to talk. So we want to approach our kids, be brave. We're, we're so willing to talk to our kids about other things and we don't talk to them about that. If we think our children or our grandchildren are depressed, Leave it all on the field. Leave no stone unturned until you get your child the help that she needs or he needs. I want to share some research, some reality of what's going on in our families uh, with our teens, with our children. And I want, I want parents to really hear this. I want some men to hear it who have said, yes, you understand the responsibility of being the spiritual leader of your home. Good leaders face the brutal facts. They don't stick their head in the sand. So here's some brutal facts. Between 2011 and 2016, five-year period, research, scientific research, eighth and tenth graders, 31% more experiencing chronic loneliness. 31% more would say they are chronically alone. Twelfth graders, Senior highs in high school, 22% more say, I am chronically lonely. That's a mental health issue. There is a website, a social media kind of platform called Tumblr that a lot of your teens and young adults go to. And parents, you know nothing about it. But that's where they go, and they talk to each other. And it's been monitored by some professionals and they have found that in the past five years, young people, the conversation about worried about their mental health has gone up 238%. Today, college freshmen, all-time high in the history of keeping these numbers, all-time high, depression, Overwhelmed, loneliness, this sense of high anxiety, stress so high that many of them roll up into a ball in their dorm room, in their apartment, not function for a day or two, and they won't call you because they're paralyzed mentally and just so overwhelmed. In America, the past 20 years, the use of antidepressants has gone up 300% across the board. Those are the brutal facts. Now, what's going on in our families and in our world that's allowing this sort of stuff to happen? What's going on? Well, I think this actually speaks to uh, the adverse childhood experiences. And so um, if we could get that slide up, we have a, we have a mm. pyramid. Um, Kim, can you speak to this? Sure. So this, uh, I have to stand up so I can look at it myself. The adverse childhood experiences study was done in the mid-90s, and it's been uh, validated in over 50, 50 additional studies. It's very well 
well known. So adverse childhood experiences, there's a list of 10, which we'll show you later. And what it is is 10 things that happen during childhood that can have leave a lifelong imprint on a person. So if a kiddo has an adverse childhood experience of abuse or neglect, and we'll see the whole list in a minute, but what will happen is it actually alters the way the brain develops. Because the brain develops until our mid-20s, but it has a huge growth during childhood. So while these pathways are growing, what's happening is with these adverse childhood experiences is that the brain begins to change. That leads to the second level, which is social, emotional, and cognitive or mental impairment. So what happens is that we'll see a kid who has a lot of home issues or issues that happened when they were children, and what will happen is they may become extremely shy. They may fight a lot. They may get the label ADD when they're not. They may get the label oppositional when they're not. Uh, they, so what they're doing is they're acting out at school the behaviors that help them survive at home. So they go into school, if we could bring that pyramid. So they go to school, and emotionally they're, they're kind of off. They're, they're not as mature as they could be uh, because they're surviving, which can lead to high-risk behaviors. High-risk behaviors such as tobacco, alcohol, drugs, driving fast, being a daredevil, taking unnecessary risks. Those can lead to the next level which is disease, disability, and social problems. So what happens is people who have unresolved adverse childhood experiences and who have these high-risk behaviors develop physical manifestations of what they've been through. And at the end, top of the pyramid, early death, people who have six or more adverse childhood experiences have a life expectancy that is 20 years shorter than people who have not. You said unresolved. Unre we, we all have bad childhood experiences. Right, absolutely. But unresolved childhood experiences, right? Un is that, unresolved. Is that, is that, is that yeah. a key mm -hmm. word? Unresolved. Okay, so before we have the host come forward and, and receive our offering, so host, you might want to get ready. Can we can we talk about what some of those those childhood experiences are? That, absolutely. So parents know what to look for. Absolutely. So these are the things that could happen in childhood development. Um, if you look at the, the slide there, um, you're noticing that there's abuse. So physical abuse, emotional abuse, sexual abuse, um, neglect. Now, neglect is one actually one of the worst. Um, it's one of the most damaging of the adverse childhood experiences. And the reason being is because every human being has an innate need for connection. And when that need is not being met in development through neglect, um, that does a lot of, of harm to a child. Um, there are also household dysfunction that you can tell that's going on. And this is the stuff that, that children are party to in the home. So if there is mental illness, right? So maybe a, um, a family history of mental illness or if they witness mental illness from a parent or a loved one. Um, incarceration, so maybe dad, um, uncle, someone is incarcerated. Uh, mother treated violently when they witness, when they witness mom being treated violently, substance abuse in the home, and then also divorce. These are all very damaging. And you know, this is this is kind of the newest research I've seen would add to that cell phone use 
the use of cell phones, that screen time is increasing levels of depression Absolutely. in our teenagers Absolutely. and young adults especially, mm -hmm. correct? So screen time, the, the issue with screen time is it, that it isolates. Kids are not having eye-to-eye -eye contact. They're having contact with a screen. And so uh, paradoxically, what is supposed to make us feel so connected to our 1,200 closest friends is actually making us disconnect with the people in our own house. I'd like to even add to that, you know, we, we've gotten so connected with our social media and so instead of looking for value like in ourselves, because that's usually the way we do it, we look for value in ourselves or we look to God to validate who we are in Him. Um, instead of doing that, we found ourselves finding validation in getting likes on Facebook or, or, or getting, getting invited to these certain things or in these groups, or everything online, you know. Um, I can feel better when I have tons of likes. When I don't have any likes, I feel horrible. You know, as a person, it, it, it tends to like uh, give me value or take away my value. It's things like that that we need to watch for. Okay. So the one last thing I would say, too, is I, I really feel strongly about this. Y'all, uh, we adults who did not grow up with social media, we have to understand that this is not the same world. The, when I was in the seventh and eighth grade, if I didn't get invited to a party, I might have found out about it. I might have gotten my feelings hurt. But that's, that's it. Now, if our, if our young people aren't invited to a party, they see picture after picture after picture where they're not there. That is not the same thing, y'all. It hurts. And we need to understand that, that it is a different world. And so social media, it, you talk about affecting your self-esteem. It happens to grown-ups too, right? So, so we have to understand that this is something that we need to speak into our kids that you are God's. You belong to God's. You're invited to God's party every day. So really, social media, such a rap in a cell phone, technology so rapid that parents got to recalibrate really how to parent, what it means to be parent, and to try to learn and have more empathy what kids are going through and not just, just suck it up and blah, 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 blah. Okay, we're going to get to some proactive things uh, here in just a minute. We're going to, after we do that, we're going to show a short little video. Cause I know some of you learn better visually just by seeing stuff. So a short little video while we receive our offering and worship God. So let's do that now. Depression is the leading cause of disability in the world. In the United States, close to 10% of adults struggle with depression. But because it's a mental illness, it can be a lot harder to understand than, say, high cholesterol. One major source of confusion is the difference between having depression and just feeling depressed. Almost everyone feels down from time to time. Getting a bad grade, losing a job, having an argument, even a rainy day can bring on feelings of sadness. Sometimes there's no trigger at all. It just pops up out of the blue. Then circumstances change, and those sad feelings disappear. Clinical depression is different. It's a medical disorder, and it won't go away just because you want it to. It lingers for at least two consecutive weeks and significantly interferes with one's ability to work, play, or love. Depression can have a lot of different symptoms. A low mood, loss of interest in things you'd normally enjoy, changes in appetite, 
feeling worthless or excessively guilty, sleeping either too much or too little, poor concentration, restlessness or slowness, loss of energy, or recurrent thoughts of suicide. If you have at least five of those symptoms, according to psychiatric guidelines, you qualify for a diagnosis of depression. And it's not just behavioral symptoms. Depression has physical manifestations inside the brain. First of all, there are changes that could be seen with the naked eye and x-ray vision. These include smaller frontal lobes and hippocampal volumes. On a more micro scale, depression is associated with a few things, the abnormal transmission or depletion of certain neurotransmitters, especially serotonin, norepinephrine, and dopamine, blunted circadian rhythms, or specific changes in the REM and slow-wave parts of your sleep cycle, and hormone abnormalities, such as high cortisol and deregulation of thyroid hormones. But neuroscientists still don't have a complete picture of what causes depression. It seems to have to do with a complex interaction between genes and environment, but we don't have a diagnostic tool that can accurately predict where or when it will show up. And because depression's symptoms are intangible, it's hard to know who might look fine but is actually struggling. According to the National Institute of Mental Health, it takes the average person suffering with a mental illness over 10 years to ask for help. But there are very effective treatments. Medications and therapy complement each other to boost brain chemicals. In extreme cases, electroconvulsive therapy, which is like a controlled seizure in the patient's brain, is also very helpful. Other promising treatments, like transcranial magnetic stimulation, are being investigated too. So if you know someone struggling with depression, encourage them, gently, to seek out some of these options. You might even offer to help with specific tasks, like looking up therapists in the area, or making a list of questions to ask a doctor. To someone with depression, these first steps can seem insurmountable. If they feel guilty or ashamed, Point out that depression is a medical condition, just like asthma or diabetes. It's not a weakness or a personality trait, and they shouldn't expect themselves to just get over it, any more than they could will themselves to get over a broken arm. If you haven't experienced depression yourself, avoid comparing it to times you've felt down. Comparing what they're experiencing to normal, temporary feelings of sadness can make them feel guilty for struggling. Even just talking about depression openly can help. For example, research shows that asking someone about suicidal thoughts actually reduces their suicide risk. Open conversations about mental illness help erode stigma and make it easier for people to ask for help. And the more patients seek treatment, the more scientists will learn about depression, and the better the treatments will get. All right, let's talk about what's happening in the family and some proactive things that can be done. And the word is resilience, right, Kim? Yes. Angela, that, that's the word, that we're all going to experience some mental health issues. Mm -hmm. But the word is resilience. Some of you need to write that word down, resilience. You want to teach your kids resilience. And so how can we do that? How can we teach them resilience? People are born with resilience. Resilience is the ability to bounce back after difficult times. So we're born with that. But we can, it can be depleted depending on our childhood, and we can speak that into ourselves again and into others. It can grow. It can mature. So resilience is about uh, things that we can do. So resilience is associated with faith, 
And, and the Christian faith is a big part of resilience because it gives us hope. Another part is positive self-talk. So resilience is about whenever those negative thoughts are creeping in that we say, I can get through this. It's going to get better. I can do this. Those kind of things. Absolutely. And we have a resiliency slide here that you can see behind us. And if you notice on the top of the slide, it says emotional awareness. I think that for a lot of people, that's where it's going to start. And it can start for you here today with just becoming more aware of how you are emotionally or more aware of how you're functioning emotionally. Just kind of like take note of how you do things mm -hmm. through life. This is a solution. Now this resiliency can be built back up. And on this slide on the bottom, you'll notice where it says social support. So a lot of times when people have mental illness or mental, any kind of mental issue, the first thing they do is isolate. And it makes sense. You know, sometimes we isolate. We want to draw back to gain some kind of safety. But it's actually the opposite of healthy coping. So what we want to do is we want to draw in and find connection. And connection is actually the key. Um, we can find connection in the home. Um, connection can be something that we can find through meaningful conversation, you know, like parents can actually have meaning com meaningful conversation with their children. Um, I think uh, a lot of that has gone away with, uh, with a lot of the, the social media and a lot of the cell phones that people are using, a lot of that stuff. Um, but years ago, that used to be when people used to talk more, sit around the dinner table and conversate. Um, and that can be something that we can do intentionally. We can also reconnect outside the home in the community. I just saw a beautiful example of connection this morning in this, this morning right here on the floor where, where people, when the dedicate, the kids were being dedicated and the people drew around them. You know, that was a beautiful example of emotional and physical connection that you guys had this morning. But we can also connect in other ways. We can connect in the community through activities. If we have activities that we like to do, we can share that with other people, becoming part of a team. We can also connect in other ways. You can connect with mental health professionals. One good way to do it is just go out there and seek what's out there. You know, become more aware of what's available. Isolation is the enemy of depression. Absolutely. Right? I mean, yes, boy, it it's, just, it's just the enemy if you want to cover. And there was one other thing up there on the screen, bottom right-hand corner, I want all parents to take note of, and that is problem solving. One of the reasons why your teenagers and your kids are getting so depressed or they get to college they don't know how to problem solve because you solved them all for them. You run to the teacher. You run to the coach. You run to take care of it all yourself instead of telling them to go have the conversation, to go talk to the coach, to go talk to your boss, you know, and so they don't know how. You're not, a, you're not teaching them how to do, you're not letting them languish a little bit. Problem solving is critical to have resilience and to overcome stuff. So parents, back off. Ask questions, help them kind of figure some stuff out, help them, let them fail. It's okay to fail. Be there to kind of help them and everything. Now, Angel, I, we got, I want you to take the time to, to share this story kind of as a wrap-up about a client who came into your office and the end result and how mental health played into this. Absolutely, family. and I'd like to share with you um, a client um, that I had. His name is Larry. Um, well, his name's not really Larry, but we're just going to say his name's Larry. And uh, he came in, and he was uh, complaining about having problems in his marriage. Right? He's saying, I'm having all these problems. I think my wife's thinking about divorcing me. She says, she says we don't connect, and she says that she doesn't even know if I like her sometimes. And so when we started, we started working together, and we started processing this, and we, what it came down to is we found out 
that when he was young, when he was a child, in his family, he had, like what we saw on that slide earlier, adverse childhood experiences, and he was neglected for long periods of time. And the times when his parents were there, when he showed emotion, and when he cried, as what kids do, he was told to quit being a crybaby. He was told to suck it up, get toughen up. And he learned over time that he got the message that his feelings were not okay, right? It's not okay. So what happens was, and on the second level of that slide, it showed emotional functioning. And so his emotional functioning was impaired. And he grew up through life not trusting emotions and avoiding them. And here he is today in a marriage, and he's really worried because she's thinking about divorcing him because he doesn't know how to connect with her. He's like, tell me how to connect. And this can be rebuilt through that resiliency. It can be, it can be worked on. But one thing to take away from this is that he grew up in a family where it wasn't okay to share your emotions or it wasn't okay to not be okay, right? Mm. And that might be something that we might even ask ourselves today. Like, do I live in a family where it's not okay to show my emotions? Is it, do I live in a family where it's not okay to be okay? Can I reach out to my relatives? Can I say, mom, dad, brother, you know, hey, I'm feeling this way. Or is it not okay and we just don't go there in our family? So I want to say this to the men, because I hear this all the time, men. All the time, men. My husband, he just doesn't emotionally, I don't feel like he's in touch with me. I don't feel like I know how he feels. And we men say, well, I wasn't wired that way. I mean, I just wasn't, I mean, I'm different. You know, I was, I was made differently. I'm a, I'm a guy, and I, you know, emotions, that's just not the way. Men, that's a mental health issue. God did not wire you and desire you, design you to keep all your emotions on the inside, but to know how to process them and feel them and experience them. But because of your childhood and some things, that's why you are the way you are. And it's a mental health issue. And you can reconstruct that and learn how. You can. But you first got to admit it's okay to not be okay and do something about it. All right. Can we say thank you to these two for a man just a great job? Thank you, a great job. Let's all be sit down. Uh, they're 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 going to be out in the crossing. I got I have two minutes here to take. We got two minutes in the word here, but it's going to be a powerful two minutes for somebody. I'm going to be in the book of Lamentations. Uh, Angel and Kim are going to be out on the cross, and you can meet them and speak to them if you want to. But this book, this book here, if you're depressed or you have mental health issues, the most critical textbook in your life is this book. In the book of Lamentations by itself, it's about depression. It's about mental health issues. He's lamenting. And this is where we started this thing in three weeks ago. And in Lamentations 3, several verses there, 15, 16, 17, and 18. Uh, Jeremiah is going, oh, I'm so depressed. I mean, I've forgotten what life is like. I've forgotten when things are good. My splendor's gone. I feel terrible. All that I've hoped for, it's gone. In verse 19, I remember my affliction. Oh, how sad I am, how bad things are, how things are getting worse. I remember that my soul is so downcast. So he's depressed. But in verse 21, it shifts. I want you to hear this. Anyone who's depressed, I want you to hear this. Yet this I call to mind 
That's the Hebrew word. Same thing, almost the same word as I there. I call to mind psyche, my mental well-being. And I have in my Bible, I've written out here Philippians 4.8. I've just written down Philippians 4.8. You may know what that says? It says, whatever is noble, whatever is true, whatever is right, whatever is lovely, whatever is admirable, whatever is pure, if it is excellent or praiseworthy, think, think about that. Yet this I call to mind. I think about these things. I self-talk. I think about this. Therefore, I have hope. Therefore, I have hope because of the Lord's great love. We're not consumed. I'm not being consumed with my depression or this mental health, my anxiety, my stress. Because of the Lord, he loves me. His compassions never fail. He understands. It's okay to not be okay. His compassions are new every morning. Great is your faithfulness, God. Hey, church, when do I ask you to be in the Word? Every what? Every what? Every day, every, every, part, every part of what every day? Every morning. Because when you start every morning in this book, God speaks to you. His passion, his love, his faithfulness. Then it goes on, I say to myself, verse 24, I say to myself, the reason some of you get so depressed is the things that you're saying to yourself. And you sink and you sink and you sink, and you sink. But he says, I say to myself uh, that, uh, I lost my place there. The Lord is my portion, not my, not my depressions. The Lord is my lot. He is my territory. Therefore, I will wait for him. That word wait in the Hebrew literally is expectantly. I will wait. I will expect him to do something. I'll expect him to move the mountain. Because verse 25, the Lord is good. I mean, I'm saying it. The Lord is good. The Lord is good. The Lord is good. I'm saying this in my mind, in my soul, to those whose hope is in him, to the one who seeks him. I get up every morning. I seek him. I seek his word. And then verse 26, it says, it is good to wait. Now, that word wait is different than the word wait in 24. It's different in the Hebrew. In verse 24, it's I'm expecting. I'm doing something about it. I'm expecting. Verse 26, it's be still. Just be still. And know the salvation of the Lord. So we're going to do that. I want you to be still. Just be still. Just be still. Just be still. Depressed. Anxious, can't sleep. Your mind is repeating all this stuff that's not true. Just be still. And know that God is God. Hear this from the Lord himself. He's speaking to you. Let my voice be God's voice. It's okay to not be okay. I love you. I care about you. I can help you. I am good. <laughs> I know you. I designed you. 
can help heal you. If you're sitting next to someone that you know has a mental health issue right now, depression, an overwhelming sadness, they're anxious, they're stressed beyond belief, I just want you to very gently put your hand upon them, their shoulder, their hand, their knee, appropriate, make sure it's appropriate, but in your relationship, and just let them feel the touch, the touch that they're not alone and that you care. Maybe you don't know how to say it right now, but just touch them, hold their hand, that you care. God, we pray for all of our families that you might help us and teach us to know how to love and how to receive love and that you would heal us as we feel safe with one another and most of all with you. In Jesus' name.